There is no cut, edit. There is no stop, do it again. You fail, you learn, you get back up and you fail again. And mm -hmm. a lot of people hate that process. But the reality is in order to become a phenomenal comedian, you have to love the process. Star Radio. Hey, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Sasha Diamond. Thank you so much for tuning in. This episode is called Laugh Out Loud, Building Your Own Stage. And I interview my big brother named Sterling Scott. And he hails originally from Scarborough, Ontario, and is now out in Edmonton, Alberta, in the comedy scene. And I'm so excited to be able to follow what has been going on with him and to listen to his tips and tricks on how to navigate the comedy scene and what to expect in the future as well. So I know y'all will enjoy it. Let's get it. Uh, my name is Sterling Scott, and I am a professional stand-up comedian uh, living in Edmonton, Alberta, via Scarborough, Ontario. Yes, Scarborough. Shout out to Scarborough, guys. Uh, yeah, my big brother is on the air with me. I'm so happy. Um, it's been so long, and I'm so honored to be able to speak with you about comedy and just what's going on on the stage and backstage that I don't understand, and definitely a lot of people I don't understand the comedy game. They just show up to laugh, really. And mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not really, um, I guess, abreast to how this all works. So I'm glad that you're here to be able to guide us through what this looks like for comedians. And um, well, I guess we're just going to get started on what is the importance of creating your own stage in comedy and not steering away from the genre of comedy and say going into acting or uh, just being a creative in its entirety. Well, the importance of that is that in comedy, you have to be able to find your own voice. And that can only be attained by constantly being on stage and slowly shedding away the, uh, likely, uh, the likelinesses of other people that you admired and picked up. When I started comedy, I admired Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy. And mm -hmm. so whenever I came off of stage, people would say to me, and as a compliment, but I would see how it was working against me, they would say, you remind me of Chris Rock, or that looked like Eddie Murphy. And at first it seems like a compliment, but what it actually is showing is that you are mimicking another person's style. In right. order to become truly unique, you have to become your own a voice. Like when you listen to Dave Chappelle, you can just hear it and go, that's Dave Chappelle. Mm -hmm. You think about any great comedian you know, as soon as they start talking, the, you're like, that's them. You know what I mean? Yeah, now, their own you sound. sound like everybody else, then you've accomplished uh, the very bare minimum, which is just being funny. Being mm -hmm. funny is the first step. The next step is finding your voice and then displaying your message. And that requires nonstop living of your life and being on stage. And it's very easy to leave the stage behind because the stage is very, very difficult. It mm -hmm. does not matter who you are. There is no forgiveness on that stage when you have bad jokes. Like the longest you will ever get as a celebrity is 15 minutes. That's the longest anybody will give you with telling bad jokes before they're like, hey, this guy sucks. Right. And that tends to happen when comedians transition over to film because in film you can't do no wrong 
In film, it's the words are written for you. The scene is delivered for you. Everything is already put together. All you have to do is follow through with what they asked you to do. But with stand-up comedy, you have to create everything yourself. And if one aspect is wrong or one aspect is off, the entire joke falls apart and you fail in real time. There is no cut, edit. There is no stop, do it again. You fail, you learn, you get back up and you fail again. And a lot of people hate that process. But the reality is, in order to become a phenomenal comedian, you have to love the process. And that's not just with comedy. That's with all art. You have to love the process. Because Absolutely. once it is finished, you have to give that up to the world and let it be interpreted however the world decides to interpret it. Because it's art. And art is interpreted however the mind perceives it. And with comedy, you could tell a joke that is, you think is funny and another person will think is not another person might think is offensive and another person might love but mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to you because you have to love the process and give that up to the world and then just be like i hope whoever sees it the way i sees it follows what i do and, and that's why it's really important to constantly be on stage and to constantly stay uh failing it's like it's just like a in order to get the purest gold, it has to be burned in the hottest heat. Yes. And that heat is, is the failure of the bombing of the, if you ever meet a comedian that says I've never bombed, that person's a lunatic, get away from them. Because in order <laughs> to make a good joke, you have to bomb. Just think about taking a diamond out of the earth. It's filled with uh, dirt and coal and rocks. What do you do? You chip away at it. You, you brush it off. You clean it. You cut it. You shape it. And until it's finally a flawless diamond. That's the same process of making a joke. It starts with an idea, a premise. Then you start to work it. Just like how you're chipping away at the rock to get the diamond out. That's the same way you chip away at words. To cut the fat out of the words because the less words required makes the joke better. And uh, that can't happen if you're not constantly on stage and constantly editing and performing. So that's why it's so important to constantly have your feet in the fire with stand-up comedy. Okay, and then just knowing that you, you're so knowledgeable about what it means to actually push forward and, and, and you understand that you, know, you have to fall before you get up and can, you're able to stay standing up, what was your personal journey like and what led you to being in Edmonton and staying in the comedy scene? Can you just share with us what that looked like for you to make the decision to uproot from where you're originally from to be able to follow your dreams somewhere else? What did that look like? So how it all began was actually, if you can remember back in the day in Toronto, they used to have the Much Music VJ search. Yes. And what that was, was to for anybody who is under the age of 30. So the Much Music VJ search is where they used to have like this reality show competition on television to pick the next person to be the Much Music VJ. I wanted to be an actor, actually, when I started out. I wanted to be an actor. I had studied, of course, in high school uh, under Miss Jack in uh, Jean Vanier. Miss Jack! Uh, I, yes. <laughs> and I was, uh, I took a natural... Uh, knack to improv and acting and I fell in love with it so I wanted to become a much music VJ because every VJ always ends up on television or in a TV show and so I saw it as a shortcut so I decided to try to be a much music VJ I didn't make the cut obviously and I was very sad 
my friends brought me to a comedy show to try to cheer me up. And that mm -hmm. comedy show was Kenny Robinson's Nubian Night. The show was packed. The comedians were phenomenal. And it just, the energy in the room was, it, it, was, it was mystifying. I couldn't even explain the, the electrifying feeling that would go through you with every laughter. And mm -hmm. at some point in time during the night, they said, we're giving away free bottles of wine for anybody with a talent. Now, backstory about me real quick. I love drinking. I want free <laughs> wine. So my friends were like, yo, my friend has a talent. And they were like, what? And they go, he's funny. He being me. Now, I was not a comedian, nor had any desire or aspiration to be a comedian at this time. I just wanted free wine. Okay. I went on stage and I told what they call a street joke. I didn't even know what a street joke was. I just knew that this was a joke I could tell that usually works. I told the street joke and it absolutely crushed. It leveled the place. Now, we're drinking our free wine in an alley because I like free alcohol. <laughs> and in that alley was two uh, legendary comedians. One is Kenny Robinson and the other was John Paul, a Trinidadian comedian that lives in uh, Toronto, Ontario as well. Yes. John Paul and Kenny were both like, hey, you did really well up there. Are you a comedian? Now, I was drinking. So I lied. I was like, yeah, I'm a comedian. Of course I am. <laughs> oh my God. From uh, a different city. Just never seen me. And they said, well, are you here? Would you like to perform? I said, I would love to perform. Of course I can. And they said, good, you're on the next show. Now, the Nubian Night, for those of you who don't know, is one of the biggest comedy shows in Canada, period. And I had no clue of what had just happened. I had just been gifted the opportunity that many people had been fighting for. But again, I had never done stand-up comedy. I had no clue of it. So I went to go on stage a month later, and I absolutely bombed. I, I had a terrible set. I almost got booed off. I was very oh, close no. to getting booed off. And when I came off the stage, I was very sad. I was very hurt. I was very uh, a little, you know, little depressed at my performance. But in the back of my mind, I was knowledgeable enough to know that the reason why I failed wasn't because I can't do it, but because I didn't understand or respect the art. Okay. okay. Now, what brought me to Edmonton was that I was poor. I grew up in um, 73 Hallbank Terrace. That's uh, Pitfield's neighborhood. So what happened is I was poor. I was 22 years old and I was living at home with my mom and I was wearing one pair of um, Echo jeans that was stolen. A bunch of people stole these jeans from the mall. And as they were running away from the mall, these jeans got sprayed by a skunk. So they threw them in my yard and I took those pants, washed them, and the button was missing off of it, so I held it together with a safety pin. And that's the jeans that I wore when I was 22 every day. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, this cannot be my life. I cannot live like this. This has got to be something better. Mm -hmm. And while sitting in a pool hall, my cousin called me, and he lived in Edmonton, Alberta. And he said, hey, would you like to come out for my birthday? I told him I had no money. He paid for my flight which was unheard of to me because a flight was about $500, which at that time might as well have been 5,000. When I went out to Edmonton, I seen something I had never seen before for young black people, opportunity for work. They literally had jobs where they were begging people to come. And being from Toronto where I, the maximum I ever got paid was $8.50 an hour. 
Now I'm in Edmonton and I was making $18.50 an hour plus overtime. So the reason I left was because, no, I was not a comedian yet. You don't call yourself a comedian after your first show. And so comedy still was not something that I was thinking would be my pursuit. Um, I left because I was poor and needed work. Now, when I went to Edmonton, I continued to go to open mics and practice and learn the craft. And, uh, you know, 13 years later, I am uh, 14 live televised, nationally televised performances. I was signed by Kevin Hart to the LOL Network. You can find me on the LOL Network. I got to perform with Dion Cole and Jeff Dunham um, at the Just for Laughs Festival that's on the Comedy Network. And my performance made the Just for Laughs 2018 top performances and it's on their album. So like their album of the top 12 performances of the entire festival, my little performance is on there. Wow, look at that. You know what I mean? So it's like, again, that's why I say you gotta gotta enjoy the process. Mm Because that pain that I felt from bombing, that never goes away. It still is awkward for me to even watch up that performance or any of my older performances where I was growing. Yeah, when you're getting better. Yeah, it's very cringeworthy. It took me very many years before I could watch myself on television and actually laugh and be like, holy cow, that was actually funny, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, that's that's how I ended up in Edmonton. And then from Edmonton, I was actually moving to Los Angeles. I was in Los Angeles in January, and I had just landed two television stand-up comedy performances. So one was for Amazon Prime. It was called Laugh After Dark. And the other one was on um, Showtime. I can't remember the name of it at the moment because it was still in its pilot phases. But I was, had, I was lined up in January of 2020 to, to film two of my very first American televised credit. Nice. And then COVID-19 hit. And when that hit, I have a visa to work in America, but I don't have um, the green card, which allows you to work anywhere. Gotcha. My visa is very specific, and it's only for doing stand-up comedy and acting. Now, when uh, when COVID-19 hit, they banned all acting and they banned all comedy. So I was not allowed to work. Like, I legally couldn't work. And because I'm not a citizen of America, I couldn't collect their checks either. So I had to come home. And that's how I found myself back in Edmonton. But um, hopefully, um, from there... Uh, I hope to return to L.A., but now that uh, with COVID-19, I've learned something new about myself, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I'll get into that one later with you, but for right now, that's how I began the journey. Okay, okay, and then what What did it look like for, the, now the fact that you, you are navigating the pandemic and th- that has affected um, the pandemic has affected you going to LA and staying in LA and working. How have you been able to, I guess, navigate the pandemic to be able to continue with your career, I guess, building, building the art because everybody's kind of in a cocoon right now. So are you doing things to progress in your art? And, and also a second part to this question, I was listening to one of your episodes and you're speaking about, um, 
sorry, Sterling has a podcast, guys, and we're going to make sure we put the link uh, uh-huh. down in the description. So I was listening to one of your episodes and you were uh, speaking on uh, backyard shows, I believe. Is that yes. what it was called? Yes. yes. So I thought that that was pretty cool. So can you elaborate a little bit on that and let me know, I guess, uh, yes, your navigation uh, during the pandemic and as well as the alternatives comedians are making to continue their art while this pandemic's happening? So what that was, was actually the brilliance of a friend of mine. He actually was one of my first mentors. Uh, my only two mentors in comedy is Kenny Robinson. And the other is a gentleman by the name of Lars Kelly out of Edmonton, Alberta. And mm-hmm. he was sitting at home during the pandemic and he was watching television and he was watching somebody sitting around a fire pit. And he said to uh, a friend of his, I got to get back on stage. Now, the friend of his that he was talking to by the name of Norm Shaw is a DJ, professional DJ for weddings and corporate events. And uh, he had a lot of contacts for people that obviously have the income and the backyard. So he called up a few people. They tried it out and it ended up being successful. They did like a pay as you can kind of show. And then what happened was they had friends that got took notice and took wind of it that work for the news in Edmonton and they um, did a news story on it. And when they did the news story on it, it was for the entire province of Alberta and the idea exploded. And he is now booked over 138 shows uh, since that time. And to the point where now he turns to me now and he's like, listen, I can't even take any more dates can you jump on this and start doing some as well? And so that's how the brilliance of that individual allowed us to find a way to be back on stage. And in fact, opened up a new revenue stream that could be used even after the pandemic. People are still interested in doing backyard shows. And so that was his blessing in disguise due to the pandemic. And the reason why I say blessing in disguise is because of the fact that for the first time as a stand-up comedian, if you're a full-time stand-up comedian, you are busy all the time. As much as we like to pretend and act like we're lazy and whatever, as soon as we wake up, we have to be thinking three months down the road. Mm -hmm. So every day that we wake up, we're trying to fill up a month that you're not going to see for three months. And then when you fill up that month, then next time you wake up every day, it's to fill up the next month because your work is not guaranteed. And then not only that, but every night you got to keep sharpening that tool. So you got to be on stage every night. And then you have to travel on the weekends and go to different cities and you're constantly performing. When the pandemic struck for the first time in 12 years, mm-hmm. I had to stand still. Wow. And when I stood still, uh, at first, for the first three weeks, I'm not going to lie. I have not been on a real vacation, like an actual vacation in 12 years. Anytime I go somewhere, it's comedy related. So I go to nice places. Like I go to the Caribbean, but I'm doing a show there. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like you'll see me on sunny beaches and all across the world, but I'm doing shows there. It's I'm talking about pleasure. a real deal, no work, just straight vacation. I haven't had one. And so for the first two weeks of the pandemic, I spent time in my house just loving being quiet and alone. Mm -hmm. Then after the three weeks, I realized, okay, I'm done with my vacation. I'm getting itchy. It's time for me to get back on stage. Mm -hmm. And in that time came my blessing. 
my blessing was this. I learned, uh, I came to the revelation of how important it is to work on your brand. Because in the first 12 years of my career, all I've ever done was focus on how to become funny. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the reason why you want to do that. Because when you go to a show, you want to be funny. You want to crush. No matter what situation gets thrown your way, you want to be able to get on stage and absolutely destroy. And I, at this stage of my career, have figured that out. But what I couldn't figure out was why is it that there's comedians who are of lower skill than me, less experienced than me, but they're headlining around the world and I have to open for them and I have to dull down my jokes so that they look good. Why do I have to do that if I'm better? And what I realized was, yeah, you figured out how to be funny, but you haven't figured out how to sell your brand because it doesn't matter how funny you are. If you do not fill up seats, then nobody cares. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who do not understand the business will tell you funny is funny. No, it is not. Funny is one thing, but then knowing how to create an audience that follows you mm -hmm. is a whole other thing. And what I learned was that these social media people were figuring out how to create their brand before learning how to do stand-up comedy. So they had this brand. I literally opened for a kid who was 18 years old, and he did a show of 500 people. He had done probably 10 minutes of comedy. So I went in there. And I didn't know any of this. I just went in, absolutely leveled the place. He goes up and bombs. Wow. And I'm like, what's going on? How yeah. did you have 500 followers come to a show in a city that you're not from? He's from Baltimore. He's in Edmonton. I can't even get on a club or a stage in Baltimore. This mm -hmm. guy's got his own show in Edmonton. And I realized that they did it in reverse. They figured out their brand. And now they're trying to figure out how to be funny. Okay. Now, I'm fortunate enough that I'm funny now. I'd rather be funny and then figure out my brand because when you get people in front of you, how you keep them is by actually delivering. Mm -hmm. So now that I'm funny, I realized the mistake all Canadian comics do. And that is that they believe that the comedy clubs will make them stars. But I always say to you guys, pay attention. How many Canadian stand-up comedians do stadium tours? Everybody will pause, think, mm -hmm. and then say, Russell Peters. And I'll say, phenomenal. Give me one more. And they can't. And that's because in the history, the entire history of Canadian stand-up comedy, we have never, before Russell Peters or after, had a comedian that fills stadiums. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Well, the reason why that is, is quite simple. See, in America, they have a lot of outlets and platforms that allow them to become stars. In Canada, we don't even have a television show that regularly showcases Canadian talent. So then if you can't see who Canadian talent is, how do you even know who you like or who you want to go see? We don't have any platforms. The only thing we have are festivals and comedy clubs. Mm -hmm. And the comedy clubs, their job is to sell seats not make you a star. So I'm not mad at any comedy club for this, but I need the comics to understand that the clubs will never make you a star. What they will do is take your 
value. So that you'll go in and become a great comedian in their club. But when you walk out of that club, the club keeps the reputation of having great comedians. You leave as a nobody. So people will come back to that club because the club has great shows, but they'll never follow you. Mm -hmm. And so you now, who perform for 300 people and absolutely destroy, has no identity, no voice. And so you're of no value to the club. Yes, you crushed that night, but guess what? They could put somebody else on who's mediocre and that club will still do 300 people. What you need to learn how to do is build your brand. Even if it starts from small, even if it takes time, it is better to have, okay, look, for example, a comedy club will pay, and I'm I'm airing out some uh, back back door businesses, but a comedy (laughs) club who will do seven shows will pay a comedian who's hosting $550, okay? Okay. $550 for seven shows. Now, each of those shows will have on average between two to 300 people. And, all you, and they will each pay $20 a ticket, and then they're going to spend $25 on food, minimum, mm-hmm. okay? Which means each head is worth $45, which means each person walking through each show is worth around the range of eight to $10,000 is made for each show. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, the club walks home with 70000 You go home with $550. Yeah. It would be more valuable to you as a comedian if you can go to any city in Canada and perform for 50 people, one show at $10 a pop. You would make in one show at $10 a pop with 50 people, the same money you would make doing seven shows in one city for 300 people. So you need to learn how to build your brand because when you walk out of that club, you're a nobody. But if you can walk into any city in this city, in this country, and do 50 to 100 people, you're better than the person who's doing 300 people in the club. Mm-hmm. Because those people came for you. And they will follow you to any venue you go to. That is power. And that is the realization that I came to. If you want to take your career to a serious next level, then you need to work on your brand. As much as you work on your skills as a stand-up comedian. And that's the revelation that I came to. And that's why you see that there's now a podcast. I built a film studio inside of my place. And uh, I will be pushing out, uh, you know, video content sketches. I'm currently taking classes to learn how to do animation on computers. And all kinds of things so that I can create my own content have my own narrative, and build my own fans. Now, if it takes me two years to get to the point where I can do 100 people in a city all across the country, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Because if I spent two more years in the club, I'd still be right where I am. Right. And what happens with the clubs is this. You go from host to middle. Sometimes you headline when the headliner doesn't show up. But at the end of the day, you will just end your career as some old guy hosting on stage for the next young new comic who figured out their brand. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the end result. There is no positive end results in the club. If you stay in the club, you finish in the club. You never, you never get above club. Your voice doesn't get any bigger. Right. So, so if that's how it ends, 
why not take two years to focus on developing yourself? You can always get stage time. You can get that anywhere. But take two years to build that brand. Because from that 100 people after that first tour, when you book the next tour, there'll be 150. Then well, con- content creation and, and just focusing like uh, that's what you're you're going to see or if you haven't already just a whole bunch of memes and just a whole bunch of like the self-help type of community they they stay steady on focus on something for six months focus on something for one month it could literally like set you up for the rest of your life if yes. you stick and stay focused and that's yes. the culture we're living in right now the content creation and building your brand uh, through social media is is the wave right now and it is and for it's very people powerful at a certain age in a certain age group it shouldn't really necessarily mean that it's more it's more along the lines of if you're willing to learn some new tricks really is what it is but I, I think that this generation now, they've, they've hit the nail on the head. Like you can literally become overnight stars right now um, just off of one funny video, off of uh, a really powerful video, whatever the case is. And you may not have intentionally tried to build your brand, but when you are focusing on building your brand and focusing on that stream of time that you you need to be able to um, content create and make sure you're building connections and partnerships and things like that. And as you said, like, you know, you're putting yourself in a position to be able to, uh, you know, perform for 50 people, 50 meaningful people that do then become your followers or are your followers currently, that would be able to take you from city to city to be able to grow that following. It makes, it makes sense to move in smaller numbers to become a larger number than to attain the larger number. And that's with anything. I don't even think that it's, it's not just comedy that you're speaking on. This is like a universal thought. Like it's a numbers game at the end of the day. Yes. And uh, one thing you said that is very important that they should all listen, building relationships and connections. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I cannot stress to you guys, if you have any desire to be an entrepreneur, and when I say entrepreneur, I believe anybody in the arts is an entrepreneur because you are your own business. Um, You need to understand the value and importance of relationships and business relationships and connections. When you go to Los Angeles, you know what they'll tell you. If you just try to get on stage, they go, nobody invited you here. So we don't care. Right. The way to make it in LA is through the hookup. Yes, you can be talented. Yes, you can be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That gives you consistent work. But to get your face in the door, you need the the past from somebody else you need somebody who's going to help recognize you and give you the vouch that Mm -hmm. vouch is so powerful if you go to the comedy store which is one of the most popular comedy clubs in the world you're not getting on stage but if a celebrity was to walk you in there and be like yo i'm gonna do a set tonight and so is my friend all of a sudden you get to work there Mm -hmm. so it's very important guys that you do not do this on your own. I know a lot of people are like, I did this myself and da 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 da. Let that mentality go. Mm-hmm. Please do not keep the mentality of, I wanna do this all alone. I Stay get humble. it, it's admirable, <laughs> but take the hand to help yes, because yes. you're going to need it. So I hope people hear that, that not as much like, uh, just as much as I'm saying, build your brand, learn how to do your craft, but you have to 
have good relationships. Because if people don't like you, they're not going to want to work with you. And you have to accept your strengths and your weaknesses. So that's, yes. that's all a part of it as well. If you have a strength to be able to be the communicator, you're able to make partnerships and, and you know, create them. You need to, and your, your weakness is maintaining those those partnerships or uh, not knowing certain things uh, when you're stepping into a certain uh, creative art. Um, it's, it's okay to be humble enough to say, you know what, I need this help or this is the connection I need. To, yes. And this person has that strength in this area. So I need to keep this partnership going. Like you, you have to have that game mentality, that chessboard mentality. Uh, yes. To, to figure out, okay, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. Let's check these boxes off. So definitely figuring that out and stepping into a place where you're able to accept your weaknesses is if it's not an easy thing. I'm not saying it is at all. It definitely is not an easy thing to be able to say, I can't do this. But once you do get to that mentality, it it opens various doors for you. So definitely take that opportunity to to be able to check within yourself and then step into that as well. Like just accepting, accepting is a, is a larger part of the whole game. So allow I, yourself to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Cause that vulnerability connects with your audiences that goes for any art form mm-hmm. vulnerability, allowing yourself to be seen right through. Cause what happens is those things that you've uh, uh, hidden and, tucked away and it's like i want to be looked at as a very strong and independent person then you might push away a lot of people Mm -hmm. but when you let yourself be vulnerable and be seen you can connect with a lot of people and then those people in turn will be like yo i understand where you come from i will gladly help you because i know your struggles and i know your wins and i want to help you Mm -hmm. so sometimes you got to drop the facade be vulnerable yes it's scary yes you some people are shaking their heads like nope not me not me well when you get to the maturity level in your career, when you realize that being vulnerable doesn't mean being weak, then you too will be able to grow. Absolutely. I agree. And I, and I thank you for all of that knowledge you dropped because it's definitely helpful universally, but, but for all the comedians or people wanting to step into that, that area of art, absolutely make sure that you re-listen to this if you have to but i'm definitely dropping some amazing gems thank you so much for that Sterling. honestly no, no problem yeah so a uh, part of the show we have um a portion called open up the question that was submitted is um they preface it with saying toronto is literally one of the top cities in the world to begin a career and make connections and also known as the no love city for creatives So in brackets, they put the no love part is, I know that we're all aware, Toronto shows no love. We support, but we don't support uh, each other. Um, And when we blow or we're doing well for ourselves, we want to leave because we know that. We know that um, if we stay here, it, it feels like you're stagnant and, you know, the same people, the same circles are here. Um, and it becomes the no love city for you. So, and that's what it feels like to creatives here. So because you are originally from Toronto and you moved to Edmonton and decided to pursue your career, do you believe that uprooting from Toronto is a decision that most artists make just to thrive because of the no love culture here? I believe firmly, um, that that no love culture spans across the entire country of Canada. Okay. Canadians in general have some 
have a, what you call it, a, a very docile view of themselves. So a Canadian person will not typically acknowledge another Canadian artist until they're accepted by Americans. And that's across the board. Okay. It doesn't, I have done literally 14 nationally televised stand-up performances and nobody cares. You know what I'm saying? Whereas if I was in America and I had done three televised performances, I could come here and headline every club. Mm -hmm. That is an issue that we have as Canadians where we don't view ourselves as anything talented. We're always submissive to what we see from America because we have a very heavy influence from American media and television. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, what you are facing in Toronto, you will face everywhere in Canada. The only people in Canada that support Canadians because of where they're from is Newfoundlanders. That's it. <laughs> Newfoundlanders. If before. you're from Newfoundland, if you're from Newfoundland and you go anywhere in this country to do a show, mm. it will sell out. It will wow. sell out. I have a friend named Lisa Baker. Okay. Lisa Baker's from Edmonton, uh, lives in Edmonton, but originally born in Newfoundland. Every year she does theater tours. I'm talking 2000 people per show and she's doing six or seven shows. Mm -hmm. Now that is all strictly for Newfoundlanders. So they'll do it in Newfoundland. They'll go to Halifax. They'll go to Fort McMurray, which is a heavy Newfoundland area, you know, Grand Prairie. Uh, there's a lot of places that have a lot of Newfoundlanders in Canada and mm -hmm. they will go to these specific towns and absolutely annihilate in them. The other group uh, that I just realized is if you're French, if you are a French speaking comedian, there are French communities that will hire you to come out. Um, besides that, every English speaking Canadian outside of Newfoundlanders, which Newfie is really not really English to begin with, um, <laughs> you are going to suffer. And unfortunately, that's just how it is. I literally still have to, uh, email and, and and ask for spots from clubs after I've done televised performances in that club. Mm -hmm. I did the Winnipeg Comedy Festival and I uh, was on television for it. You'll There's plenty of those. Anytime you go look up Sterling Scott, you'll see Winnipeg Comedy Festival, Halifax Comedy Festival. You'll see LOL. You'll see Comedy Network. And these some of these shows are done in clubs. And in those same clubs, I still can't get booked in there, even though I was on national television performing in that club. And it's all because they would rather take an American mm -hmm. than support a Canadian. And that is the fault of the Canadian gatekeepers, but also some of it lies on Canadians themselves. And here's why I say that. A lot of people don't want to support Canadians because if they become superstars, they feel it means that they are less than. When I say that they feel that they are less than, it's because if we both came from the same block, the same school, the same hood, and I became a superstar and you work at a superstore, you have no excuses for why you're there. So if we can hold each other down and they fail, then your failure makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And I see that across the board in Canada because anytime I've seen a talented Canadian artist 
and you see when they're doing well, they will not acknowledge them. They want them to fail so that it makes their failure feel less. And if they don't believe, if you don't believe me on that, look at Drake. Drake is the perfect example because before Drake got picked up by Lil Wayne, he had an album out mm -hmm. and that album didn't do very well. He had a lot of fans. He had fans, yes, but he wasn't Drake. And then what happened after that? Lil Wayne, all of a sudden, all you heard all across Canada, Lil Wayne signed this Canadian, Lil Wayne signed this Canadian. And then that mixtape almost won a Grammy. Why did it almost win a Grammy? Was it because it was amazing or because Lil Wayne was on every platform? Yeah. It co-signed him, signed him, and then did every track with him. Mm -hmm. So now the good thing about Drake was fortunately when he was given the platform that he was actually talented and he continues to reign supreme in hip hop. God bless him. Love him. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are thousands of Canadian artists who are just as talented and even more so in all facets, but we don't have anybody that will co-sign us. If I had one chance to be co-signed, if Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle or Kevin Hart was to come and say, which now the funny thing is with the whole Kevin Hart thing was uh, when I got to the festival, nobody would talk to me. Kevin Hart, all he said on stage to the crowd of 500 people was Sterling Scott, this guy, everything about him is funny. He's the truth. That's what he said on stage. Guess what happened after that? I went from nobody talking to me to a lineup. 30 feet long of executive producers waiting to shake my hand. That's crazy. Just from that little cosign. From that little... <laughs> now imagine if he was to have put me on and gave me a Netflix special like how he's done in America where he does Heart of the City mm -hmm. and he puts people on Comedy Central and Netflix. Uh, if they had given me that platform, what I would have done with that. You know what I'm saying? Right. So we don't have any cosigners. Uh, because our artists are all struggling. And another thing that makes me sick to my stomach is that Canadian artists are afraid to say how good they are. It's almost a negative thing if you are to stand up and be like, I'm phenomenal. I one time said at an interview that my goals in comedy was to become one of the greatest comedians to ever walk the planet. And when the interview was over, the other comedians were like, why would you say that? That makes you sound like a jerk. And I'm like, why wouldn't I say why that? Would you, I go, why would you say that? I go, what do you mean? They go, well, everybody wants to become great, but you're kind of making the statement of saying that you're great. And I said, I am. And they're like, well, now comedians aren't going to like you because, you know, they're going to feel that you're saying that they are lesser than. And I said, their emotions are not my responsibility. Straight. <laughs> my responsibility is to my art. Right. And I intend on becoming one of the greatest stand-up comedians of all time, not just Canada, of all time. Mm -hmm. And I intend on doing that by suffering losses, but never going down, never taking it as a failure. A loss is, 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 is only a loss if you perceive it as a loss. Absolutely. I don't look at it as a loss. I look at it as a lesson. Okay, I tried that way. That didn't work. Let's come back with a new, a new formula, a new way. And that's what I mean when I say you have to love the process because it's through the pain, through the pressure that you become the diamond that shines across the nation.
Mm-hmm. So if you cannot handle the fe- defeat, if you cannot handle the losses, if you cannot handle the rejection, then you cannot handle success. Because on the other side of failure is success. Absolutely. Absolutely. All the truth. And it's it's definitely something that I know a lot of people in Toronto are always, you know, complaining about that we don't support each other. So it's definitely um, it's definitely some sound advice and something to really just look at. Uh, we we can't we can't really anticipate or expect have that expectation of somebody co-signing us necessarily, but still pushing. Don't even expect it. Just no, remember why can't have that expectation. It. No. Yeah. Why and, are you doing it? That's the question you need to ask yourself every single day when you wake up. Mm-hmm. People always say to me, "Why do you do stand-up comedy?" You know what my answer is? Because I can't do anything else. No matter where you put me, no matter what I do, I'm always going to be a stand-up comedian. This is what I am, not what I choose. Right. I mean, you look at this. You've known me my entire life. We're blasted well family, okay? Mm. Have I ever not been known as the funny person? Absolutely not. (laughs) Exactly. And that's like, this is just who I was my life. And so it's like, now I denounce stand-up comedy when when people would always be like, you should be a comedian. And the reason why I did it was because I didn't like people telling me what to do or forcing me into a box, like, make me laugh. I'm like, I'm not your damn joke box. Yeah. Out of here. You know, like, I would, I would get mad at that. But now I realize that uh, I'm blessed with an ability because, listen, it doesn't matter how, how you cut it. Not everybody could be a stand-up comedian. Some people have it, some people don't. It's just something, I don't know why, but I've seen phenomenal comedy writers who suck at performing. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some amazing performers who suck at writing. Something about something in an individual makes them a stand-up comedian. And I realized that not only am I blessed with this skill, but that I love it. When I'm and on- you, stage, And you've fallen in love with the process. Yes. And when you're on stage, I can only describe it as, you remember when you watch Mickey Mouse in Fantasia mm-hmm. and he's standing on a cliff and he's conducting the waves? Mm-hmm. That's how I feel when I make the crowd laugh because their laughter comes in waves and I'm controlling that. And it's like, I can silence the crowd. I can make them laugh. I uplift them. I bring them down. It's a roller coaster ride of emotion. And when right. we're done we feel complete like wow that was a ride and the same excitement that the crowd gets out of when i make them laugh is the same excitement i get when i make them laugh and i've become addicted to the sound of laughter and i love it and i never want to be away from it and so that's why i am who i am because that is what i am so no matter what happens no matter who's hating no matter who doesn't want to support me, why am I doing this? I do this because I love the sound of laughter and I do it because this is who I am. If mm-hmm. you focus on that, why you do it every time when you get on that stage, it doesn't matter who's watching or who's not watching. You will be creating the art that makes you happy. And if it takes you to heights and fame, great. But if it doesn't, then you did what you loved. Right. And I mean, that's what's important. Right. And that's absolutely true all the way across for all creatives. Just stick to it and, and love the process. And that's the message for, for today. Like absolutely just love the process. 
And just, uh, we're going to switch gears uh, just to, uh, just before we close out. Um, mm-hmm. This is called the listen up session. So listen up is you would need to choose a song that would best describe your vibe or energy right now in your life and your career. So is there any song right now that you're vibing to a playlist you're vibing to right now that speaks to the way that you would like to keep pushing in your career or your life period? Uh, it would be Destiny's Child. I'm a survivor. Hey, <laughs> that, that song is timeless. <laughs> I'm a survivor. I'm not gonna give up. I'm not gonna stop. Keep on surviving. You know what I'm saying? Like, is that something you train? Song. Like, you tune in your head and you sing it to yourself, or do you blast the song? Like, what? No, what? I listen. To, I say it to myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's levels. There's levels. So. Yeah, music is so powerful because the words that are, that's why I don't understand uh, the new, the kids' music, because it's like more of a beat and a hook than it is a song. Mm-hmm. I'm old, so, you know, I like lyrics. I need to hear what you're saying and how it applies to me. And um, so I had songs. Uh, when I used to be in competitions, the two songs, I used to listen to Drop the World by Lil Wayne and Eminem. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my one before for competitions. Um, uh, uh, lose yourself. That was for whenever I'm doing a show. Eminem, lose yourself. Oh my uh, gosh, that literally yeah. is like the best. <laughs> it is. He if really that isn't was... explaining right before you go out on stage, I don't know what song will. Yes, <laughs> he he hit it on the head with that because yeah. that's exactly what you're feeling. I've had where you want to throw up. I've been so nervous, I forgot words. Like I'm oh, like no. I don't even know how to talk. Like I don't even know what to say. You know what I mean? Like I been that nervous. And the, what, what happens is with comedy, I've been doing it, it's going to become uh, 13 years come September. I still get nervous. But what I do now is I take that nervous energy and I turn it into a positive. By making, mm-hmm. by, I like that nervousness now because it lets me know I care. It lets me know that I'm still in love with this art form. And then I take that nervousness and I channel that energy into my first joke. Because I'm like, listen, I'm scared and this is what it looks like when I hit you at full strength. Boom. Right. And uh, it, it, it transitions into why my performances start out so powerful. It's because I want you guys to feel my strength. And uh, the nervousness is what brings that. If I'm not nervous before a big show, then I get nervous because I'm like, do I even care? Am I going to bomb? Like, you know what I mean? Like the energy is yeah. just not there. And it's, it's a shift, it sounds like. like it, yeah. But if you were to say what would one song be Mm-hmm. That would be to describe me right now mm-hmm. in these pandemic times. One hundred percent, it's gonna be <laughs> Destiny's Child Survivor. Survivor. Okay, all right. Make sure. You, I, I wish I could play it at the end of the show, but. <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. Sterling, Sterling's hype song right now to to let him know that you know keep pushing, keep it pushing. But just sing it in your head, though. Like I said, there's levels to it. We don't want to be blasting that in the house and people are like, what the, f-? like, <laughs> this grown-ass man playing this song. He's screaming in the kitchen. <laughs> That'd be a TikTok video. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I think I, I might have given you an idea. <laughs> I, you, I am you, not doing that. 
I am a grown man. And I do exactly. It's, it would just not translate well. So we're no, just going to keep it in the noggin. We're going to keep that in the noggin. And not to, not to mention that the rest of your family is funny as hell. And I'm sure they will roast the hell out of oh you. Oh, my God. So they you wouldn't be able me. to survive that TikTok at all. I would not. I would not. They would just destroy me. I'm not even the funniest <laughs> in the family. They are way funnier than I am. I say it every time. <laughs> absolutely but oh my gosh Sterling thank you so so much for blessing us with your presence on this show you've been phenomenal in all of the advice that you've been giving and all of the gems that you've been dropping and I just wanted to end off with uh, just letting us know what's next for you what what can we expect and where we can find you all right so um first off you can look out for uh, the upcoming 25th anniversary Penny Robinson Nubian uh, Disciples comedy album. I am one of the comedians on that comedy album. Dope. So make sure you check out that new album coming out this year. And also, please check out the Comedy Reject podcast. That's my podcast. And that comes out every Sunday. Every Sunday? Every Sunday. <laughs> and you can also look out Follow me on all social media platforms at Sterling's Jokes. That's Sterling with an S and the N to the S, Sterling's Jokes. And uh, look out for, we're going to have some animation coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to look out for a lot of video podcasts coming up and a lot more sketches coming out within the upcoming weeks. So follow me on social media and you get to see those videos and keep in touch. Okay, dope. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely have all of Sterling's, uh, his connections in our episode description. So you guys can uh, uh, have some clickable content there. But once again, thank you so much for being on the show, Sterling. And I know that you guys are definitely going to be a fan of this episode. So if you have any comments, any types of uh, voice messages that you can leave on the Anchor platform, please do. And there you have it. That was such a dope episode with my big brother, Sterling. Thank you so much, Sterling, for stopping by. And, you know, those tips and tricks that he did share in the comedy scene are definitely universal things that we can all consider when navigating through entrepreneurship and just life, period. So thank you once again for coming by. I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at sdatradiopodcast and join our Facebook group for the latest updates on episodes and guests and their contact information. If you have a question, you can submit comments under the episode on the podcast platform that you're listening to. You also have the option to leave us a digital voice message through our anchor platform. All followable links and clickable content are provided in our episode description. And if you like the content that you're hearing, support our podcast by clicking the link in our description to support our show by providing a small donation to keep us going. Thank you for rocking with us and tune in next week and every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Peace. Star Radio.